following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning and uh, welcome. We are going to be looking this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, which marks a huge uh, turning a corner in the book of Hebrews, um, as we will see. I had hoped to go through verses 1 through 6. I'm not going to make it that far, but we will read verses 1 through 6 on the topic of faith, famous chapter that most of us are familiar with in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's uh, look uh, and read together verses 1 through 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Uh, This is a a challenging passage in many ways, but also um, an amazing passage. Uh, And I think oftentimes we we go to Hebrews 11 and we want kind of a shot in the arm to encourage our faith. Uh, And we oftentimes read and understand this chapter separate from the rest of the book, uh, which uh, will will, uh, keep us from really grasping fully Uh, what he's saying here. And it's very important to see that uh, this chapter uh, is very strategic uh, in its placement after this long discussion on uh, what Jesus has done for us through his high priesthood, through his sacrifice, through his death. And um, if we had time, I would summarize chapter 6 through 10, but that would take about two hours. So let me just wrap it up as the author does in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Uh, what, What he has been talking about here is that we have access into God's presence that Jesus' death on the cross and his ministry as our great high priest has opened a door for us that's given us direct, unhindered, and unlimited access into God's presence. We can draw near to God. We can be uh, close to him. Uh, He ends chapter 10, the passage uh, just before this that Ted preached on last Sunday, uh, with these words. He says, Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which confidence is a faith word, your confidence, which has great reward. 
For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet, and he quotes from uh, the Old Testament, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by works. No, faith, right? Make sure you're all listening. Shall live by faith. Faith, not works, right? Live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls, right? So then, uh, that's the the backdrop. He's talking about drawing near to God through faith. uh, And he launches into this chapter 11 to explain what is faith. Um, And so faith becomes critical to our drawing near to God. Uh, to living out the gospel, to walking the path that God has called us to, uh, it's, it's, it would not be unfair and realistic to say that for the Christian, faith really is everything. Uh, on God's side, Jesus' death is everything. But on our side, our part is faith. And everything revolves around faith. And we all know uh, uh, the many things that Jesus taught about faith and that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll move mountains. And uh, maybe you're like me, you've tried to move mountains, and the mountain didn't move. And you know that the problem is I don't have enough faith. And so what do we want to do? We want to grow faith. We want more faith. We want to understand how this faith works. And that's exactly what he he does for us uh, in this chapter. Um, But it's important to keep the the, the backdrop of all this, that, that the goal of this is drawing near to God through faith. That's the ultimate goal and objective. And we draw near to God, first of all, through the work of Jesus. It is not our faith that opens the way of access. Uh, Jesus opened the door uh, through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his priesthood. But we have to walk through that door. And the way we walk through that door is by exercising faith. Um, As I studied this passage this week and thought about it, I realized that I have a lot of misunderstandings in my own thinking about faith. And I think that oftentimes we as Christians uh, have a very simplistic and inaccurate view of what faith really is. So it'll be good as we spend the next few weeks going through chapter 11, uh, getting a, a better view of what faith is. How does faith work? What exactly is faith? Uh, and most importantly, how do we increase our faith so that we can be those kind of people who can get out of the boat and walk on water? Or uh, do the things that God's called us to with confidence um, and uh, with fruit. So uh, let's jump into this. And this is a difficult topic. Um, uh, it would be very easy, much easier to give the simplistic answers. Uh, but to really grasp what faith is, we need to dig a little deeper. And, and certainly the author of Hebrews has this amazing vision of faith. So let's see if we can uh, begin the process. It'll take several weeks to unpack all of this. But let's... Um, Let's see what faith is. What, what is. How does it work and how do we grow it? Uh, verse 1 starts out, very famous um, passage. Now faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, how many of you have memorized that verse at some point? Uh, how many of you really have any idea at all what it means? I can promise you I don't. Okay? I studied a lot this week, so I have more understanding than I did last week. It's, it's difficult, right? And uh, so we will try to 
uh, at least um, increase our understanding a little. But I'm not promising I'm going to explain all of this, especially just today. But uh, hopefully it will give you some things to think about and meditate on. Uh, He says, basically, um, if I could capture what he's saying here, it would be this. Uh, You've all heard the expression, seeing is believing, right? And there's some truth to that. Um, If if you promise me you're going to give me a million dollars, I'll believe it when I see it, right? There's a sense in which seeing is believing. But that's not what faith is here. Faith is not the result of anything that we see. In fact, it is the exact opposite. The faith he's talking about is faith in things that are invisible and unseen. And in fact, uh, what he's really saying here is that faith is seeing. Faith is seeing the invisible. Uh, the, uh, the, the future, that's our hope. The hope is future-pointed. And uh, there are those who claim to see the future, we do see the future. <clears throat> we just sang about it just now. right? The lion and the lamb. One day everybody, every knee will what? Bow before him. We see that and we know that. And it's faith that gives us the vision or sight or eyes to know that that is a certainty in the future. Uh, faith is seeing. Um, poor Thomas, doubting Thomas, you know, he needed to see Jesus before he would believe. But... The scripture teaches that the kind of faith we need is the kind of faith that uh, enables us to see with the eyes of our heart. Um, We do not believe because we have proof. Rather, uh, faith is the proof that makes it possible for us to believe. I'll say that again. You've got to think about this, okay, because it's hard. Faith is the proof that makes it possible for us to believe. Now, where do I get this from? Well, I get this from this verse, uh, from what he says in verse 1. Faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction or the proof or evidence of things not seen. Let's take the first of those two uh, phrases. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The word translated assurance in some Bibles, if you memorize this in the King James, I think the word is substance. Uh, in Greek, and I, I hate to kill people off with Greek words, but this is an important Greek word. It's the word hypostasis. Uh, and it can be translated as, as either confidence or substance. Uh, but it, it has the idea of an assurance of mind or a firm belief in the truth and reality of a fact, especially in its underlying integrity, stability, and veracity. Right? Um, It's the content of something that makes it uh, undoubtedly true. Uh, It has the idea of being the substance or basis of our hope, which is uh, our our, our convictions, our our beliefs about the future. Uh, Faith is therefore the solid ground on which our hope stands. Um, To give us a little background for this word, it's used actually in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 of, of the Son, an amazing passage where it describes who Jesus is as the Son of God. And it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His hypostasis, the exact imprint of His nature, His substance, right? the stuff that makes God what He is. And that's that word. It's the substance that makes it what it is. Uh, now, I will confess that I just don't have the words 
and I've tried. I don't, I don't have the words to explain this. So let me quote other people who say this well, right, to help us kind of wrap our heads around what this means by faith being the substance. Uh, and it's, it's important to understand that faith is not just something we hope for or wish for. It's something much more substantial. It's something real. It's something um, that is foundational that gives us the ability to believe. Martin Luther said this, Faith is not that human illusion and dream that some people think it is. Faith is a living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that someone would die a thousand times for it. This kind of trust in and knowledge knowledge of God's grace, okay, so trust in and knowledge, we'll come back to that word knowledge, makes a person joyful, confident, and happy with regard to all to God and all his creatures. Um, Dallas Willard describes it this way, faith is what knowledge is called when the knowledge is of something intangible or invisible. Right, so there's a, there's a piece of faith that is knowing. Okay, faith is not blind in the sense that we have no idea what we're believing. There is a knowledge that's a substantial knowledge to faith. There's content to it, and we believe in something that we know as true. Right? So faith is what knowledge is called when the knowledge is of something intangible or invisible. Uh, we'll come back to that idea of invisibility in a minute as well. Uh, faith has an element of confidence that moves one into action. Right? So, so convinced are we of these truths and these things that it causes us to do something about it, to live differently. Uh, Andrew Murray puts it this way, faith is mostly thought of as a power by which we grasp the heavenly things. But, he says, we weary ourselves in vain attempts to do so. Right? And maybe that's how you are. It's like, I know God's up there far away. I know that there's this far off reality called heaven. And if I have enough faith, I can somehow grasp that distant realm. But Andrew Murray says that's, that's an empty attempt. He says, no, that's not what faith is. Faith is instead the substance, the substructure, that the divine things lay in me, the proof they give in me of their actual reality. Does that make sense? I don't know if it does or not. Okay, the, the substance, the proof of their actual reality because I'm in contact with them in my own being, in my soul. Right? So, so faith is a confidence, a conviction that is so deep and so real that it becomes for me reality. Right? This is not something I hope for or wish for or dream about. It is for me my reality. And it's a reality that has substance because I know something about it and I've experienced it. Okay, let's move from one confusing phrase to another confusing phrase. The second phrase, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, the invisible, right? The word conviction has the idea of convincing proof or convicting evidence, evidence that makes someone fully agree and understand and realize the truth or validity of something. Right, so, so faith, he says, faith is, and this is where faith is seen. He says, faith is the proof. Right? We, don't, we don't get proof and then we believe. He says the other way around. We believe, and our belief, our faith, is so convincing that it is the proof 
that this is true and real. Uh, that, that it causes us to fully agree and understand and realize the truth and validity of God's claims and promises in his word. Again, I need help with this because I just can't put it into words. Let me just give you a couple more quick quotes. F.F. Bruce says this, Our physical eyesight produces conviction or evidence of visible things. Right, so we look around this room and uh, our eyes tell us I'm at CCF, I'm in church, right? And this is not a dream. And if we think it's a dream, you could ask your neighbor to slap you really hard and, and you know, because it's, it's, it's evidence, right? Um, likewise, he says, faith is the organ which enables people like Moses and the examples we'll see in the rest of chapter 11 to see the invisible order. Faith is seeing. Right? It gives us the power, the capacity to see the invisible realm, the invisible order. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce may have actually got this from Andrew Murray, who says this, Faith is the spiritual faculty of the soul that deals with spiritual realities of the future and the unseen. And that's the two topics of this first verse. The hope is our future, and uh, the unseen is the spiritual realm of, uh, of God's kingdom. So it's the, faith is a spiritual faculty of the soul that deals with the spiritual realities of the future and the unseen. Just as we have our senses through which we see and experience the physical universe, so faith is the spiritual sense organ through which the soul comes into contact with and is affected by the spiritual world. Okay. By which the soul comes into contact with and is affected by the spiritual world. So, so faith is not just ideas. And uh, sadly, in, in kind of modern Christianity, we have reduced faith to belief in, in, in I, an idea. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and, and that, that death was somehow atoning. That's not faith. It's simply mental assent. It's just simply agreement to a, group, a set of facts. That is not faith. Right? Faith is much deeper than that. It puts us in contact with uh, the unseen spiritual realm in a way that it affects us. Right? Just like our eyes affect us, our senses affect us. If we're driving down the road and a truck pulls out in front of us, right? it affects me. And I do something in response to that. That's the effect of faith. It puts us in touch with the spiritual unseen world and it causes us to react to it and to live differently. Um, one more quote. Again, because these guys say it way better than I do. We need to be persuaded very deeply that faith is not only a dealing with certain promises. Okay, again, that's this idea that I just believe in some promise or believe in some word. But it is an unceasing spiritual interaction with the unseen world around us. Faith is the unceasing reaching out heavenward of that spiritual sense to which things future and unseen, unseen reveal themselves as near and present, living and powerful. All right, so if I could summarize again, it's just, it's just simply this. Faith is seeing. If you have faith, you see a reality of the invisible and the unseen. Um, and, and I would argue, and I would say, that this is not true only of Christians. 
in our world today, uh, and it was true in, in, in the time when this was written as well, that faith was seen as something that stupid people did because they weren't smart enough to just know stuff. Okay? And that's kind of how a lot of people in the world look at Christians. They go, well, you're not dumb enough to know that science has proven God does not exist. I mean, you're not smart enough. You're, you're too dumb to see that God's, you know, we've proven that the world doesn't need God. Right? And so faith is seen as a weakness uh, and as kind of a blind leap uh, in the dark of just wishful thinking. Um, but the reality is that, that all people live on the basis of faith. Um, and so I don't have time to, to break all this down, but let me just take two overly simplified examples from our world. And uh, you kind of break society, modern society, po- really postmodern thinking into two groups of people. And the reality is that actually these two groups are not distinct. Most people in the modern world actually have both of these kind of opposing thoughts going on or worldviews going on at the same time. But one, but let's break it down to simplify things. One would be the worldview of modern philosophy. Uh, modern philosophy actually dates back a couple hundred years to guys like Kant and Hume and others who uh, said that the only thing real, the only thing we can know is our perception. And uh, I can't go into the whole argument because part of it I don't understand, but uh, essentially what they say is nothing you see is actually real or we don't really know if it's real. And the problem is that any of us could look at a tree or a spoon or a rock and we do something with that in our brain. We perceive it and we create a, a, a reality. So, you know, I might see a tree, but maybe Willie sees a rock. Right? You might see a dog, but I might see a cat. Right? That's what they argue. And so they say that, that really the only thing real is our own imagination, right? our own thoughts, our own ideas about what we see. Um, and, and so that's all you can know is our own thoughts. And so that's why in the modern world now, uh, this kind of philosophy and this kind of thinking is what leads to relativism, which means there are no absolute truths. Like you might believe in God, you might believe in gravity, you might believe the sky is blue, but if somebody else believes it's green, well, that's acceptable because that's their perception. And, you know, there was the whole, you know, on Facebook, the whole pink-blue dress thing, right? I remember that? Well, that, that's, a, that's a classic example of this very kind of thinking. That it doesn't really matter what color the dress is because what's real is what you perceive it to be. And that defines what the world really is. Well, the problem with this view is it's impossible to prove because any proof is simply your imagination, right? If I argue that this is the way the world is, I can say, well, that's your perception, that's your reality, but it doesn't make it so, right? Because my reality and my perception is totally different. So how do they know this is true? By faith, right? It becomes how they see the world. They accept these things on the basis of a huge leap of faith. And it really does shape reality for them, right? This becomes their reality. I see the world as this kind of place, and you may see it as that kind of place, and both can be true because our realities or what we make them. In fact, you may not even exist. Reality is I'm just preaching here because you're all figuring with some...
happened. Check. Maybe you have a little faith. All right, so that's that's one kind of philosophic, philosophical reality. And it really is uh, all by faith. It's all by faith. Now, the other, the other extreme view, which people would say, well, this is more based on fact, would be the, the scientific view. Right? In the scientific view, uh, the only thing real is the actual the object. Right? Uh, reality is what is physical, what can be put to the test. Right? What I can observe or what I can touch or feel or smell or hear, what I can subject to my senses. And this is, uh, of course, the, the view of naturalism. Um, and they, they would say that if, you, if, it's, if it's invisible, it doesn't exist. If I can't somehow prove it under the scientific method, if I can't touch it, then it can't exist. And so, therefore, God can't exist because I can't, I can't take a picture of him. Right? If I could take a picture of him, if he would show up and, and you know, subject himself to uh, the lab, uh, then maybe I would believe. But I'm only going to believe in the things that I can see. <clears throat> Um, there, there's a problem with this view as well in that um, they have limited what they will accept as true and real uh, to a very narrow category that they get to set the rules for. Right? Why can't something exist that they can't see? Well, they have no explanation for that. So when it comes down to it, they also, um, by faith have eliminated the possibility of God in, a, in an invisible eternal, eternal realm, uh, spiritual realm. <clears throat> so they also live by faith. Um, and and what's, what I'm trying to get at here is what's important to see is that what they believe creates reality for them. So for an atheist who, who's gone the, in the path of naturalism, they, they do not believe in the existence of God. Uh, they do not believe in an eternal life. They do not believe, as we sang this morning, that every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. <clears throat> and so how do they live their life? Well, without care or regard for uh, a moral God who will, who will require them an answer for their life. Right? Uh, they create their own morality, their own rules, and their own idea of right and wrong because to them... There is nothing. Um, which, by the way, is kind of off topic a little bit. But if that's true, then why does it matter if you kill somebody? Okay? If we're just cosmic space dust, our value as a human being or as a floor tile is exactly the same. Right? It's just arranging the molecules differently. And uh, in, in this worldview, morality makes no sense. Because... I might as well kill you, right? The survival of the fittest. I'm stronger than you. You're dead, right? Um, there's a lot, huge inconsistencies in their worldview. Uh, but the point is, it's a worldview that is not based on fact. It is based on faith, right? They see the world the way they want to see it. And it creates for them a reality. Uh, but, but the big biblical view argues for something very different. The biblic, biblical faith argues for a reality that exists completely apart from our own ideas about it. So unlike philosophy, we believe that there's a real world regardless of what I think. Right? Uh, I, I can be totally delusional or not. doesn't matter. It doesn't change the real world that God created. 
Uh, likewise, we believe in a reality that exists beyond our own observations and experience. We believe in an invisible, unseen realm, including God uh, and, and future events that he has laid out. Uh, so, so let's see how this applies to, to life. And, and throughout chapter 11, what the author is doing is, is he's trying to illustrate these in the lives of Old Testament saints who saw the world, saw an invisible realm and an invisible reality, and arranged their life accordingly on the basis of faith. Um, so the first example actually is not from of the Old Testament, it's, but it's from us. Uh, and in verse 3 he says this, By faith... We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, so what he's saying is faith sees something and what we see is, first of all, a creator God. A God who is the first cause and originator of everything. And he created the word by his command. Created the world by his word, by his command. Um, uh, and not only that, but it says that he created the world uh, that is seen, the physical universe, out of things that are invisible. In other words, God did not, um, he, he wasn't just a potter who took a lump of already existing clay and fashioned it into the current universe. Uh, Greeks, in, in the time the Bible was written, believed that. They believed that matter was somehow eternal. And, and there were Jews who believed that God created not from nothing, but he, he took what was existing and he just, like a potter, just rearranged it. Um, but, of course, that kind of begs the question, well, if, if God created it from the lump of clay, where did the lump of clay come from? It's like the classic three-year-old question. Mommy, where did you come from? Well, I came from Grandpa. Well, where did he come from? Right all the way back from Adam and Eve. Well, where did they come from? Right, somewhere that has to end. There has to be an, an origination of all things, a, a source that everything else came out from. Uh, and he says that God is that source. But what's even more significant is that, uh, that he created things visible out of that which was invisible. In other words, there's a realm, there's a universe, there's a reality out there of invisible spiritual things that uh, is separate from, is transcendent, is outside of the physical realm, the physical world we live in. Uh, and what that means is that the phys that God and the spiritual realm is actually real, but it's actually more real than the physical realm. Now, I don't know how you talk about things that are real and more real. I mean, if it's real, it's real, right? Um, but maybe I could illustrate it this way. Um, the word there is actually greater, not necessarily real, but, but it, is, it is a greater realm. It is a, it is a greater reality. Um, I love chocolate chip cookies. I'm not particularly good at making them, and I'm a little lazy, so I don't. So I'm really thankful when somebody else makes up a batch of chocolate chip cookies. And I'm telling you, to me, chocolate chip cookies are reality. Right? They are real. And every bite, I taste those flavors, and, and it's real, right? Um, but the cookie does not exist independent of a person who made it. 
right? Somebody made that cookie. And if it's a homemade cookie, it's somebody who probably made it with some care and attention uh, because they wanted to, to, to bless someone else with that gift of a chocolate chip cookie. Um, uh, so therefore, the person uh, is, in a sense, greater. Because when I eat the cookie, or as it might be the whole batch of cookies, and all the cookies are gone, the person that made it still exists, right? My experience of the cookie is over, but my experience of the person who made the cookie can continue on. The cookie's temporary. The person is lasting. Um, another example that uh, adds a new dimension to it. Um, this morning, Graham is leading us in worship, and Graham and Serena, and, um, and he, he makes music, and uh, he, he creates a song. Now, he didn't necessarily write the song, but he, he creates it with his guitar and his voice and with their team and the keyboard and the voices. They, they create a song. And what's different from a song from a cookie is that a song has something of the person in it. Uh, Graham could sing a song, and, and I could sing the same song, and it would be different when he sang it. One, because he's just a lot better musician, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's better. But also because he puts into it his, something of himself, his own personality, the way he interprets the song, the way it imp- imp- makes an impression on him. So there, there's a very real sense in which he, part of him is in the, in the song that he sings. Um, but, but the same thing is true, that the song is temporary. When the song ends, he doesn't st- cease to exist, right? Even though there was something of him in the song, he's still there um, because he's the originator of it. He's greater than the song. He's more lasting and enduring. He is more than the song. Well, the universe is God's song. Right? He sings the universe. It is his creation, and he made it, and there's something of God himself in it. But he's more than the, he's more than the song. Right? When the universe ends, which it will, God continues on. Right? Uh, God doesn't cease to exist because the universe exists. So in that sense, God in the invisible realm is greater and more than the physical. But oftentimes we have a hard time with this because for us, the physical is so real and so in our face. We, we do see it and experience it in so many real and graphic and powerful ways that for us, it's hard to imagine that the spiritual realm is more real. Is that how you experience things? Right? Like when we picture ghosts, what are ghosts? <clears throat> right? And I'm not saying the ghosts are real, but when we imagine them, they're phantoms, right? They're spirit. They're like less than reality. And that's oftentimes how we picture, I think, God and his kingdom that somehow it's... It's this phantom. It's, it's a dream. It's like less than real because it's not physical. But faith gives us a vision and a, a, the, the sight to see a reality that is spiritual and invisible and more than the temporary physical world we now live in. Um, <clears throat> Along with this question of faith is this idea of, of knowing. He says, um, um, let me back up and read the verse. Right, by faith we understand, or, or you can use the word know there. The word is actually to perceive or see something. Right, by faith we, we know that the universe was created by the word of God. Uh, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We know this. 
Um, how, how do we know this? Um, we, under, we understand it. We, we perceive it. The word literally means we, we grasp it with the mind. How? By faith. Right? Faith gives us the power and capacity to see this is real. Um, we're going to do a little experiment. And everybody to stand up just for one second. This won't take long. All right. And, and here's the difference between uh, kind of real and, and like not really real. Okay, I want everybody to turn around, and I want you to talk to your chair for one second. Tell your chair good morning. All right, you tell your chair whatever you want. Tell your chair something. Okay. Okay, that's all. Some of you are having way too much conversation with your chair. It's scaring me. Okay, stop that. Okay. Now, I want you to turn to a real person next to you, and I want you to tell them good morning, and that you're glad they're here. <clears throat> Okay, now you can have a seat back in your chair. Now, if you're, if you're kind of delusional and kind of borderline crazy, you can have a conversation with the chair, and it might seem pretty real. But for most of us, how did it feel talking to the chair? Kind of silly, right? Kind of weird, like, why am I talking to a chair? But how did it feel talking to a real-life person? Normal, right? Right? Real. I mean, it's an interaction. It's a relationship, right? Well, this, this is what faith does for us. This is what the eyes of faith do for us. When you pray, is it like talking to your chair, or is it like talking to a real person? Honestly, for a lot of my life, praying has been like talking to a chair, because I don't have faith that God is really there. Right? I have this vision that God is so far away, and prayer becomes an empty exercise of me saying stuff because I'm supposed to. But it's not real, because I don't really have this vision, this view, this sight of God who's standing right before me. But when we, when we see with eyes of faith that when we pray, that we have the promise, and that's what he's talked about in, in Hebrews 11, I mean Hebrews 10, 8, 9, and 10, <clears throat> is that through the blood of Jesus, we draw into the presence of God, and he is there real. Uh, and in fact, uh, Scripture tells us that Jesus comes to us. He dwells in our heart. He comes to us. So that when we pray, we have to have this picture that Jesus walks up to us. And just like you were talking to the person right next to you, that, that's where Jesus is. He's right there. In fact, even more so, he's in my heart. He's, he's, he's in us. Is that real and that close? Is that your vision of your relationship with God? And you see that real. And that's what faith should do for us. Right? It should make God that present and that real. It should give us a conviction, a proof, an evidence of things not seen. And, and this proof and this evidence is not a feeling. One of the problems we have is that we, we want to feel something. But that's, again, seeing through our physical body and our physical experiences, not the organ of faith that's in our soul. You may not feel anything. I think, think honestly, once we come to the reality and and we we grasp this and we see it and God becomes that real to us, I think there's a lot of feelings that will flow out from that as we have confidence and a hope and a reality of God who's near to us. Faith is seeing. It is knowing. 
Faith is what knowledge is called when the knowledge is of something intangible or visible. You can know God. Right? Um, <clears throat> I'd hope to talk about Abel. We're just running out of time. So let me just wrap it up with this. Um, one of the ways that we grow faith is, is that faith is itself, is, is itself self-perpetuating. In other words, Faith is the way we grow faith. And the good news in all this is that faith does not have to start with us. Faith is a gift from God. And if you know God, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you've come to him through the sacrifice, which is the the, the story of Abel, uh, Abel drew near to God through a better sacrifice. We draw near to God through the better sacrifice of Jesus. If you have faith in that, you have faith. And with that faith, you can build up more faith. But it's like a muscle. It needs exercise. We all know how this works. If you sit in a chair all all day and you just look at your computer and you don't ever actually do anything, you start to look like me. (laughs) Because that's what I do. Right? My arms are not... Nobody goes, well, look at those guns. I was like, wow, he's a skinny guy. Right? Because I don't exercise those muscles very much. I want to get bulked up. I need to go to the gym and I need to exercise those muscles. I'm not creating new muscles, right? The best I can do is take the muscles that I have and, and, and reinforce them. Uh, faith you have or you wouldn't be a believer. And if you're not a believer, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, um, you need to seek him and, and pray and he will give you faith. Faith originates from God who is the source of all things. Uh, But we need to build up those faith muscles. So the faith that we have, we have to do something with. Uh, And the first thing that we can do, as he's been saying throughout this book, is we can, by faith, draw near to him. And that is one of the most powerful things that we can ever do to build up faith. Because the more we experience his presence, the more we do life near him and with him, the more we pray with this reality that he is right here and he hears every word and not only that, he's interested. He cares. just read this morning in Psalms. He uh, cares about the anguish of my soul. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever doubts and fears and worries you are wrestling with, he knows them and he cares. And when you pray, he's not indifferent or distant or tuned out. He is tuned into you and he is, is there to meet you with a very present help in our time of need. Right? First step in building up faith is to draw near. Uh, the more we do that, the more faith becomes real and the more we have power to see all that he wants to do in our life. And I believe because we had such a shallow and superficial view of faith, we don't see God doing the things that he wants to do. Because we really don't have the faith to step out and appropriate the things he has for us. We've all had this experience, and I've had this experience often, where I prayed, and, you know, and, I, and I didn't get it answered, and I know it's because my faith is weak, and so I want it so bad, I just, like, I strain to get more faith. Um, it doesn't work that way. Right? Uh, faith doesn't come because we want something so bad. It comes because we have learned, as Andrew Murray said, to live 
in continual contact with the invisible spiritual realm moment by moment. Because we see it. Right? Because we know that someday every knee will bow before the land and the Lamb. And we know that as a reality, that someday I'm going to be in that crowd. And I'm going to give an answer for my life before God. And I want to give a good answer. And this is kind of a preview for next week. What we find is that what pleases God is what? How good we are, how well we perform for Him, or faith? Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What we need is more faith. That's what God wants from us. Lots more to learn about this. Lots more we can say. So we've got three or four more weeks to go through this. So hopefully you're excited. Hope you'll go read and contemplate and meditate on Hebrews 11. And ask God to show you what it's saying. Uh, Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.